I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. During the 1994 genocide against the Tutsis in Rwanda, my next guest was only two years old, Liliana Paris Umohoza founder of the Women's Genocide Survivors Retreat, shares her amazing story about the power of listening and how this inspired her passion to advocate for women, girls, and children's rights, as well as the prevention of genocide. Even though she doesn't remember much or recall the atrocities that happened, as other Rwandans who were children at that time, Liliana grew up suffering the consequences of the genocide. And these consequences... They didn't always have words to speak or understand why they were experiencing what they were experiencing. Listening was a spark needed to begin healing and make sense of it all. Now she helps other women heal and transform through listening to each other's stories. And she talks about the power of small actions. I hope that her stories also inspire you as they do me and how we don't have to wait for such atrocities to happen before we support people at home and at work in these small but very powerful ways through listening to be able to transform and to have a better life. Enjoy listening in. So welcome, Liliane, to the Listen In podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us all the way from Rwanda. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. Um, to get started, I always love to ask, start in this podcast at, to ask people, you know, when did you first start to notice listening or the power of listening, whether it worked or whether it didn't work? Yeah, I think I was 16. Yes, I think I was 16, 16 years old when I noticed the power of listening and that was when I first shared my story with my friend from uh, my high school. And uh, it was a story that I've been carrying my entire life and uh, struggling with it. And uh, I really didn't know how to ask or how to share that story. And uh, the story is that, um, so I was just all during the genocide and uh, I don't remember what happened because I was too young to remember. And I was so I was lucky to survive with my mother. My father was killed during the, the genocide. And um, so later on, I was blessed that my mother got married again. So I got another family. I got siblings and I got a stepfather. So I grew up in that kind of environment where, you know, I felt like I have both parents. And the strategy for my parents to 
give me safe, whatever they called safe, they, you know, in that context was to do not tell me my story. But, you know, I have family members and we lived in a community that knew our stories, that people were neighbors even before the genocide. So I got to learn about my story from actually neighbors. And uh, the first time I heard about it was from a, I was like nine years old and my classmate was like, ah, you know what? And she told me the whole story. And, uh, and you were nine years old. I was nine years old. I was like, oh, she's crazy. I don't know what she's talking about. She doesn't know what she's talking about. But it was because she heard her parents talking about it. You know, at the dinner table, they were just talking about um, our family and, uh, you know, and what happened to us. So then later on, to cut a long story short, is when I was 12, that's when I started actually really knowing more and deeper about my story and the reality. And it was really hard for me to accept that story, to accept myself and to to be in my shoes, if I could if I could call it that way. I grew up with parents thinking that I have both parents. I now to just that story to really sink and me to accept it and accept myself was really hard. And I had a lot of questions about the genocide. I started having a lot of questions about myself, my family. And that at that time I was 12. I didn't know who to ask, who to f- talk to first. And the more I asked myself questions, the more I was really uh, disturbed mentally. And my mental health started to be very, very, very much affected. And I'm a very, very close friend with my mother. We are like really, really best friends. But that, that's one thing that I didn't know how to ask her. I was terrified for some reason. And I don't really know why. So I, it got worse with time. It's like I always say that I was like fighting a battle with myself. So I started to be very angry. Then later on, I learned actually that it was also it was time that I was experiencing trauma because even, you know, kids who were in their mother's womb during the genocide, they experienced trauma. Even those who were born actually after the genocide, there's, you know, transgenerational trauma. So, uh, but even though I was, I don't recall what happened, but I was alive. So it comes back. So I was... I didn't know what was going on in my mind, in my life. And uh, in, in my culture, therapy is not something that we're used to. So I wasn't even having access to therapy or counseling so that at least somebody could understand my feelings and the why, my feelings that are affecting my actions. So to cut a long story short, I, in the middle of my high school, I went to a, a new school that was founded by an American Jewish called Anne Heyman. The school is called Agahosa Shalom Youth Village, ASYV. And that school, because it was founded by an American Jewish who has the Jewish background, she started the school because she heard about the story of Rwanda, of the geno- about the genocide. And she knew that one of the things that the, the government was struggling with was to manage youth, young genocide survivors, many of whom were orphans, so then Anne Heyman, who studied the Agauza Shalom, said, there's no way you can send these children to school and expect them to perform like any other child, any other person. There must be counseling, therapy, psychological support should be the, 
the basic of any other things that you're going to offer to these young children. So that's the place where my life changed, I would say. And that's where I experienced the power of listening. So the fact that we were together in a place that feels safe, and we all almost shared the same background, even though, of course, our experiences were different, but we had the common experience of surviving the genocide, and we were all young, and we were all confused, because many of us, I realized that many of us were trying to make sense of something that would never make sense, the genocide. Why would a neighbor kill a neighbor? Just because they think they are not the same, just because they are from different ethnic groups. So it was really, it's something that can, that, that would never make sense, you know. And at an age of questioning, asking questions and questions that don't have solutions. And most of the people around us also, including like an example, my mother and my aunts and uncles who survived, they were also struggling mentally. So there was no emotional support around us. Because you cannot give what you don't have if, you know, they were struggling. So going back to listening, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember, so one of them, the young women that I met at that school, we became best friends. We were like inseparable. We were like like sisters for the last four years that we studied. We we were at that school. And uh, she is the first person that I shared my story with. And uh, I remember exactly where we were standing. It was after dinner. We were standing in the middle of the you know, two small paths that goes to the dining hall. And I remember just opening up and for the very first time having somebody to really, you know, to tell something that I've, I've been struggling with for, you know, many years, to tell somebody a battle that I've been fighting with myself it was a huge relief. It was mm. a huge relief. Not because she gave me a solution to the challenges that I was going through, but it was like as if I am, it's like you, are, you have like a hundred pounds on your shoulder and then you give somebody like 50 pounds, then you stay with 50. <laughs> so <laughs> it was that kind of feeling. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a huge relief and... Uh, it was the beginning of my healing journey. And since then, I've been using the power of listening to also help other people heal. Mm. Well, what I think is beautiful what, what, about your story is it shows that sometimes there's these horrific things can happen. You know, when you think about what happened at the, you know, with the genocide and you were only two and, mm-hmm. you know, your family was trying to keep you safe. They probably didn't know how to explain it. And they, they didn't probably want to experience it again themselves as they told it, right? <laughs> or afraid of Definitely, what they would experience. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I think you've shown in some of your current work that sharing it helps uh, is a relief more than recreating it, you know, or, you know, that's mm-hmm. part of the process. Mm-hmm. And then to have the opportunity through the school for help, you know, from psychologists, but, but yet the moment that was part the first moment of your healing journey wasn't actually from a psychologist. It was from someone that was just like you. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that's what gave me the strength to go and seek for a psychological support to go to a, to yeah. a therapist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think we're afraid to listen to these horrible things, right? Because we can't do anything, but 
we don't have to do anything. It's like creating that space. And then you go take, you go and do what you need to do after. Right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes like, I think it's a human being nature to always feel like you need to have a solution every time somebody share a story or a challenge or a struggle with you. When people tell you, oh, they are struggling, you just feel like I should have a solution. I should tell them what they should do. No, sometimes you just say, you know, it's the, the, the support that that person needs can be as simple as, thank you for sharing. I wish you well. Yeah. That's it. You know, that can change someone's <laughs> life. That can change someone's <laughs> life. Yes. So, um, so talk about you. So that experience and this journey, this, even this healing journey, also noticing the impact of how trauma can impact also silence, create silence, you know? Yes. And, or let's just say, and, and how that comes out in other ways when it's not voiced, you know, you saw that mm-hmm. for yourself and for others. Um, but anyway, that, that experience has been an inspiration for you to work on some of the things that you're working on now. So I'd love to, for you to tell me about how this experience, this moment of this power of listening, how you've brought that into the work that you're doing with the women's retreat. So maybe you can describe that some for the listeners about mm-hmm, your women's yeah. retreat. Definitely. Yeah. So the uh, Women Genocide Survivors Retreat Program uh, is a program that brings together women who experienced rape during the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda. And those women, as a consequence of their experience during the genocide, of course, they have trauma that they experience on a daily basis. But also, they have their, many of them are HIV positive because of rape and um, many other health challenges. They also have children that they conceived from rape. So I got to meet these women in 2016. That was my first in my first summer when I was in college. So I went to school in the U.S. I studied peace and conflict studies. Then in after my first year, I said, oh, I want to go back home. I have three months, but I also need an internship because, you know, I'm not going to stay home for three months doing nothing. So I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something to support the community, any internship in, in any organization that's supporting my community. So uh, a friend of mine told me about this organization called Survivors Fund. I got connected to the organization. I applied. They gave me uh, uh, the internship. My role as an intern was to listen to the stories of the survivors in Kenya, Rwanda, our mother language, and translate those stories in English because they were having a lot of um, members of the organization who are getting old and others who are dying, and they didn't want them to die with their stories. They wanted to have their stories archived somewhere. And, uh, but also even those who are still alive, we were trying to see if we can collect those stories, one, to educate the world about what's going on and also the ongoing challenges of the genocide. So I found myself in a sea of stories that I've never heard in my life. I was shocked. I knew that rape is one of the weapons that was used during the genocide. But uh, it was my first time to see somebody saying, yes, it happened. It was used. And I am one of the people who experienced it. Mm. It was really, really, really a very shocking moment to me. And uh, not only there, 
the fact that they, you know, they went through that experience, but also learning about the ongoing consequences that they go through. And that was another moment that I experienced also the power of listening, me sitting there feeling helpless, but also trying to stay sane and stay strong while I'm listening to those stories of the survivors of those women. I could see the relief from their faces if, you know, just by having somebody to share their story with. So I did my internship. It was not easy with all those stories. I was about to quit, but I said, no, I need to finish this. Uh, <laughs> I need to do this. I need to finish this. And later on, I actually started thinking about how I can be more supportive to those women, mm-hmm. you know, because I I somehow blamed myself. I was like, I should have met these women a long time ago. I should have done something a long time ago. But I then I said, now that I know, what can I do? How can I be more supportive? So I went back to the US and I started writing a proposal and uh, putting together ideas of you know how I can be supportive. And I drew from my personal experience of how, you know, of the power of listening, of how me, when I shared my story, it was really a relief. And how when they were sharing their stories to me, how I could see the relief in their faces, I said, there must be something in, in sharing our stories. There sh- must be some healing or some power in sharing our stories. How about I bring together these women so that they can share their stories as well? Hmm. That's how I started the Women the women Genocide Survivors Retreat hmm. Program. So it's a program that brings together those women to share their stories in a safe environment where we stay for three days, sleeping at, at, a, at the same place. It's, you know, and uh, far from the, the city, it's a little bit in the countryside. So it's quiet and, um, and really safe, you know bring together like 30 women. The first time we had 30 women, the second time we had 40 women Hmm. coming together in a room. They share the same stories. They share their struggles, but also they are almost the same age and um, they are all women. So there was a lot of, you know, things that were making the environment really, really safe for them to share. And we had counselors as well to guide the process But the biggest support came within the women themselves, the survivors. And that was the highlight of the, that's the highlight of the program. That's really what I call success for the program. An example is that one woman would share her story and say, I am going through this and that as a consequence of what what I experienced during the genocide. And the other one would say, I used to go through that five years ago and this is what I did. Mm. So it was, and the other one would, would you know, they would just say, oh, that's what you did. I'm going to try the same. Maybe it's going to be helpful. Because they went through the same experience. They speak the same language. They understand each other. So it was easy to take that advice from each other. And it was more powerful, more than it can even come from a counselor. Uh, yeah. So the first time, the first retreat that brought together 30 women, that was in 2017, I really saw the power of listening, the power of sharing our stories. What I think makes uh, listening and sharing our stories powerful is that sometimes people go, th- go through challenges and they think that they are, you know, they are the only one or they think that, no one can, there's sometimes that you even think that maybe I'm crazy. Who, why am I feeling this way? What, what am I even feeling? Some people can't even, 
you know, don't know even where to start from by sharing their stories or the words to use by sharing their stories. But the more they see that people are listening and are willing to listen, actively listening, the more they just, you know, find that actually challenges and struggle are are common human experience, you know. And um, for these women specifically, the stigma that comes after rape, you know, when you have experienced rape, which is something that all women around the world share, it's, you know, there's shame that comes after it. The shame mostly that comes from the community. And what shame does to a human being is that it makes you feel like you're not worthy. You don't matter. But when you share your story and you see that people are listening to you, it brings back that sense of worthy. It brings back the um, the confidence and the love for yourself. And uh, it helps people to connect as human being. And uh, it brings back the, you know, the sense of humanity in people. And mm. this I'm speaking from a personal experience, of course, and also from the from what I have seen through the women's retreat, you know, coming together and the women sharing their stories. Well, when I listen to your story and then I listen to how that has influenced some of your work and the ripple effect that you have with this, with these women, I'm thinking, oh, I'm so, it's so wonderful that you, uh, your humanity came back, (laughs) that that was invited back through, through being able to share your story and through you sharing what you knew of your story, story, because you may not have known, you still may not have understood or known everything right in the beginning. (laughs) Um, but you, it's almost like you discovered your story within telling your story in a safe mm-hmm. environment. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. also, you've taken that, that mm-hmm. piece of gold that you discovered in your own journey, and you've created a space where they can discover this, right? Um, mm-hmm. The safe mm-hmm. space. And mm-hmm. some of these women who, when they first go to the retreat, you know, who they come in as and how they leave. I'm just thinking, they probably don't realize what's going to happen completely when they go in there, do they? They may not even know they're going to share a story, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking, they we, because some of, a lot of these have probably never even shared their story before they go to the retreat. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. But uh, so before they come, we, of course, tell them what is going to happen and why we are, you know, what the treat will be about. But I don't think that they really understand the fully, you know, the details that and there's a lot of things that happens that we actually don't plan, mm. you know, because we let we go with the flow. So we we go in with a plan. And uh, actually, the first day, we tell them the plan and we ask if there's something that they would like to add or if there's something that they would like to take out of the plan. Because I also, so this, this is different. It's just me with my experience working with, um, you know, with, with NGOs. I think what really goes wrong with some organizations is, is that we work for the people instead of working with the people. I think those two are different. So for me in the retreat, I always make sure that I am working with the women that I am uh, that, that I'm that I'm supporting. Whether it's you know, I always have to check in with them when I have a plan. I don't come in with my own agenda on how they're going to heal because they are the ones who know how they want to be to to be supported. So I always make sure that I ask them. I I say this is what I think we this is what I was thinking that we need to do, but how can we do this differently? What do you want to include? What do you want to take out? 
how do you want to be supported? That's the question that I always ask the, um, the women that we work with during in the retreat. So uh, yes, many of them came in with, you know, with an idea of, okay, this is a, this is a place where I'm going to meet other women and there are going to be some story sharing, but we told them ahead of, you know, ahead of time that you can share or not. It's your right to share. And we had a lot of women who it was their first time to share their stories. It was their first time to open up and tell somebody else what they have gone through. And that was 24 years after the genocide. Wow. 24 years hiding that story, living with it, with, with yourself. And something that's really um, deep with these women is that they can't go for a day without thinking what they have gone through. One example is that, is this from a story that I once shared with us? That woman said, I have to take medication every day because I'm HIV positive and I also have other you know uh, health challenges because of my experience during the genocide and every time I take him I take my medication it's a reminder of what I have gone through mm. so that's something that she cannot stop doing mm-hmm. but it also brings back the memory that ter- that horrible experience that yeah. she had in 1994 yeah. so they need extra support as well but also just living with that story, not having anybody to share that story with, it's really not easy. It's, uh, you know, it's like a, it's a huge burden for, you know, for a person to carry by themselves. So a lot of them, by seeing others sharing, by feeling like that they're in a safe environment, they opened up and started sharing and sharing. When we go at this on the second day, all they wanted was to share their stories. And mm-hmm. even those who have shared before, they were sharing things like I've shared my story but this part I never told anybody but this is my time to let it out and of course there was so much emotions and a lot of crying but also joy you know the joy that I saw from the relief that they experienced just because they shared they shared and they had people who are there to listen to them it was really powerful when you think about yeah, I can I can hear as you're speaking about that you're there with them right now. <laughs> I can hear that in your voice. <laughs> um, when you when you look back, even I know you've done this a few times, but when you look back at um, at when you were preparing, you know, the space and looking at how do you create a safe space, this this space of psychological safety for this to happen, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What do you think were a few of like if you were to share with someone else to someone who has not been through something like this someone you know back at at the university you went to if you were to share what you feel Mm -hmm. really was really important to be able to create that space of psychological safety over the three days what would you share what would you say I think in general what makes this space uh safe enough to for the people to share I think it's it's about how we present ourselves in those spaces do we really listen without judging do we make people safe enough when they are around us how do we communicate with the people around us it's it's just a simple simple gestures like you know you let's say you are at work we all know you know we're at work it's a this big hall there's like 20 people 
But you always know that if I need a pen, there's this person that I'm going to go to. Why do we always have those people that we just feel like, okay, I can go to this part to stand up and go and ask a pen from this person, but not the other person, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, uh, it's we, you all met there as, you know, as employees, you didn't know each other, but some people showed you that it's okay to ask for that pen, which can be something else. It's okay to share your opinion because you don't see them judging, right? Mm. And it's as simple as, you know, just holding that door for somebody when they're about to pass. And uh, it sounds simple. They sound like simple gestures, but they can be big in someone's life. And uh, especially for the people who are struggling mentally, because when you're struggling mentally, one thing that you experience or one, one, the feeling that comes first is l- loss of trust mm. in the people. You really don't feel like you can trust anybody. So, but when you started seeing people who are doing something unusual, something that they were they were not supposed to do, but they are just trying to be nice to be to be nice to you, it brings back the um, the trust in the people, right? The humanity that I was talking about earlier. So, um, yeah, I don't think sometimes when we think about it, maybe we think about you know psychology, or you have to be to have, take a class in, in 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 psychology. You know, it's not as big as that. It's just as simple as, and it starts from our homes. The way you you know you the way you live with your with your with your family members, with your classmates, your roommate. You know, the way you care about them. It, it slowly but slowly it builds trust, hope, and that trust can you know change someone's life. And when you think about, so, so part of um, the space that's created where people mm-hmm. listen to their stories, there's, there's a space where we learn how to trust human beings. Again, the humanity part, and it's actually quite amazing how fast our human nature is willing to trust again, just to have some opportunities. It doesn't, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't take long when it's really, you know, authentic and real and <laughs> the caring and, and the non-judgment mm-hmm. is there. And you're right to be able to translate that into our everyday life at home, at work. It's the little things that make a huge difference, right? Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. And when you say it's transformational, it can transform people's lives. So you see how your life is transformed. What do you notice with the women who come and they share their stories? How do you see this weight being lifted off their shoulders? How do you see that impacting their lives? Oh, yeah. It, like even after the retreat? Yeah. yeah I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, so I'm going to give you an example of this woman who came to the retreat. Um, it was six years. She had stopped taking medication for six years, and she's HIV positive. And uh, it was because she wanted to die mm-hmm. quickly. So she thought that if she doesn't take medication, she's going to die sooner because life was not making sense to her. Life was not worthy living, and uh, she told us that she doesn't really, at the beginning, she said she doesn't love herself. She doesn't see any reason, you know, she doesn't see any reason of being alive. And after the retreat, she accepted to take medications again because she saw that there are other people who experienced the same. So she was able to see that what she's going through is a shared human experience. 
And the fact that she was, she had people to listen to her. I remember the first thing she said, she was like, I didn't even know when I was called to come and attend this, uh, this retreat, I was even pleased to receive a phone call from somebody. I was pleased that somebody remembered me that I could be part of this. Hmm. And then when I go here and I found this number of people who are listening to me, I felt seen, I felt hard, I felt valued, and uh, I now feel like I matter. So from now on, I'm going to take medications again, and life is worthy living. I really want to live again. I want to experience life again. Today, wow. <laughs> today, it's, it's, <laughs> I always feel emotional when I talk yeah. about this, and I, yeah. you know, told people this story several times but i that was that was really a very it was a it was a, it was a life it changed my life too myself even like you know i thought i knew i at the beginning i knew that you know i was like okay this program i believe i hope it's gonna help these women i just want them to feel like they are not alone but seeing people's lives changing that much somebody who had lost faith in in humanity who doesn't want to live anymore accepting to live again that's saving a life yeah. so and uh, i remember the um six months later i came back to wanda it was six months after the retreat so i called that woman because i wanted to visit her and see how she's doing and the progress she has made uh, so another part of the retreat is not only sharing the stories and the psychological support, but also we have another program that we call income generating activities, where these women are trained, you know, basic skills about income generating activities. You know, how do you come what up with a business idea? Income generating activities. That's how we call it. We call mm-hmm. we call that. Yeah. It's okay. So income yeah, generating. Yeah. So to help them activities. make money, you know, business yes. businesses and whatnot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we give them a training and, you know, just basic skills about how do you come up with a business idea? If you have one, how do you level up whatever you're doing and uh, how, what is saving? How do you save? Really basic skills. And we give them some loan so that they can start their businesses on their own. So she is one of the women who received some uh, uh, funding to start, you know, her own business. And when I called her, I could even feel in her voice the confidence, the power through the phone call. I said, hey, this is Lilian. She was like, oh, my God, Lilian, you're back. I'm so glad to hear from you. I said, I'm so glad to hear from you, too. So I want to visit you. When are you available? And she said, oh, where do you want to where do you want us to meet at my business place or at home? I. <laughs> Let me check. Let me see when I'm gonna finish work. You know, just I was so from I was sobbing from like you know happiness because remembering how quiet she was at the beginning of the retreat. The first day she didn't open up her mouth. She didn't want to share. She was just listening and looking around and just you know I could see that she's just digesting what's going on and. The second day, that's when she shared her story. And the third day, she was a new person. Then coming back six months later and seeing how the changes that have happened in her life and how, you know, she 
the progress she has made financially, um, mental health-wise, the joy and the confidence and the self-love. It was really one of the moments that I said, oh, actually, people's lives can change simply by listening to each other, sharing our stories, and, of course, the other extra support. But the beginning was because people shared their stories. People felt seen, heard, and valued. Hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, when you think, when you see this, the experience of that, and you, um, you know, you were surprised at the power of <laughs> that setting that space <laughs> and your, the little, um, your moment where the story helped you. And then now bringing that into a retreat, you know, three days with these women, um, you saw mm-hmm. how transformational that was. When you look at that and you think about, you know, what you're developing in future as you evolve with your work. What are some questions that you might have around listening or what you can do or what you notice? You know, I'm just, are you, how are you thinking further about this? I'm curious. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, from this experience, I'm really looking forward to doing more work in making sure that I create those safe spaces for the people around the world who are struggling, because I know These women that I'm talking about are the only ones that I have met, but I know around the world there are so many people who are suffering and there are many people who have survived the worst of the worst and they haven't heard anybody to hear their stories. They don't have that space, that privilege of having somebody to listen to them and so that they can heal and move forward. You know, especially in these days where there's a lot of going on around in the world. And now, you know, before even COVID, there was a lot. And now this pandemic and uh, wars and uh, political instability around the world. So, there, you know, there's violence going on around the world. And uh, I, it really it breaks my heart that that violence is still going on around the world. But there's a lot that we can do, which is to at least if we could be able to support the people who have survived those violent moment, I think it's a, it's a, that can make the world a better place because there's a high chance that people who have gone through the healing process, they will be the one helping others to heal as well. Right. From my personal experience, I do this work because I have seen the, 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 you know, it changed my life. It made me who I am today. And it's because I received the support. And I always want to do the same to other people to make sure that other people receive the same support that I received. So, yeah, in the future, I definitely want to create platforms and uh, programs where people can really, you know, share their stories and help each other to heal. I think healing is should be um, should not be a privilege. It should be a it's a basic need. You know, we all need to heal from different things and. Uh, it would be great to have the healing programs and uh, systems around in different communities. Mm. You know, I can imagine that, you know, what you've developed and the framework that you've used to support Mm -hmm. such like probably the toughest of the toughest things to talk about, right. Even uh, to take that framework, it can probably be used in all different 
situations and levels and it doesn't have to be that extreme and yet there's a lot going like you said a lot going on in the world and I think even in school systems people have trauma you know from teachers or from or in the work environment you know certain circumstances and imagine Mm -hmm. um, being able to create these spaces in this framework just to work through it so people can transform and move on in a positive way Mm -hmm. you know instead of getting stuck Mm -hmm. into these these patterns that end up hurting the people around mm-hmm. them and even the people that we love around us without meaning to like, even let's say your family, they want to keep you safe, right? They want mm-hmm. to keep you safe. They mm-hmm. meant well, and they did maybe keep you safe physically, you know, on a physical level, mm-hmm. but the, but that still yeah. had repercussions on other levels, which mm-hmm. they were still working with themselves, you know? So we probably yeah. have a lot of that going on right now. So I think it's beautiful. This framework can probably mm-hmm. be translated into a lot of different circumstances. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it would be great. Yeah, you just brought up something about, you know, schools. I mm-hmm. wish that we could have those kind of programs in different schools because that's where, you know, people start going when they're young. And now when we think about, you know, abuse that a lot of children are experiencing in their homes in these days and, mm-hmm. you know, going to school and uh, it would be great if they had those programs where they can actually have somebody that they can share what they're going through instead of, you know, from a, such a, from a young age, struggling with the abuse from home and then they go to school they go back to that same home and uh, you know without having anybody to share with that's why we see a lot of suicidal cases that's when we see um, a lot of people really not being able to move forward in life because the trauma keep growing and growing and uh, it gets out of hand so if we could tackle those problems at an early at an early stage I believe that we can, you know, have healthy people on this yeah. way. When I say healthy mentally, that's what I am, um, yeah, you know, saying. So yeah. hopefully. It, yeah. And I was just thinking if, you know, if more organizations and stuff would support the school system on these types of things, I can imagine that um, mm-hmm. the leaders that come out of that are like, now look at you, look at how you're leading in this way. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if a lot of the issues that also happen in, in work contexts and stuff like this, I wonder if it, it's coming from things that people, even the people who are behaving in certain ways may not even understand themselves why they're behaving. In yeah. That mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I, as I said, I told you that I spent so many years, my action not really being, not reflecting who I am. I remember that I would do something and especially with it, with anger, I'll be, you know, I would, overreact on something then later on I'll just go on the side and say oh my god who is that who did that's not what I stand from it's just like this this demon you know doing things on my behalf you know what I mean that wasn't me if people would judge me from my actions back then I don't think that I would be I would have any friend right (laughs) so there there are a lot of people today whose actions it's not really who they are, but it's because of the struggles they're going through. It's because yeah. of the, you know, the trauma. But, you know, we're human beings. If we don't give those people space to tell us exactly what's going on in their lives, you're going to put them in a box of their actions. And that's not who really they are. And that's not going to help them. It's going to make their situation even worse. So if really you could create those safe spaces for people to share, there's a lot of things that can change um, around in the world. Well, I think it's wonderful, the work that you're doing. So if you, if our listeners would be curious about your organization and would like to check out the work that you're doing, how can people get in contact with you or where should I send people? Oh, yes. We, uh, so 
my partner organization in Rwanda is called Survivors Fund. It's a UK-based organization. They help me run the program on the ground here in Rwanda. And in the US, our, our partner organization is called uh, GSF, Genocide Survivors Foundation. So they help mostly with the with fundraising because most of the donors comes from the US and uh, you know around the world as well. So they are the ones that I partner with in the US. So those two organizations, Genocide Survivors Foundation and Survivors Fund, the two organizations that people can visit and learn more about the Women's Genocide Survivors Retreat, as well as ways to, to be supportive. And also the other kind of support that I always ask people is to spread the word and, you know, let the world know, know the stories of the survivors and know what the ongoing challenges of the genocide, not only for the sake of knowing those stories or listening to those stories, but to learn from them and to make sure that, you know, what is the least that we take a lesson from those stories and make the world a better place and prevent those horrors and violence to keep happening in our communities and, uh, you know, instead create unity and love and, uh, and togetherness. So there's also a lesson that we can take from these stories, I believe, that can make the world a better place. Well, um, I want to be a part of your better place, <laughs> Liliana. <laughs> it's really been a pleasure having you <laughs> on this thank podcast. So much, and um, uh, thank you for all that you're doing in your work. It's really, it's really wonderful. All right. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. It's, it's, it's an honor. Thank you for the work that you're doing, too, of bringing people's stories uh, to the world. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others for more practical and inspiring stories and examples so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in. Thank you.